Well, if you've got your Bibles, you might want to open up to 1 Kings. We're going to read through in a little while, if I can get my computer open. I'm going to read through in a little while um, through 1 Kings. Um, where is it? 1 Kings chapter 3, I think it is, that we're going to read through. Um, so you just put your finger in there. Just put your finger in there. 1 Kings chapter 3. Um, and we'll go through that soon. But before we do, I, I, I wanted to, uh, as a church, we've been exploring this idea of becoming, uh, joining in with uh, Upway Baptist Church to become one church in two locations. And I just wanted to, as, as leadership, we thought it might be good just to share a little bit each week um, for a while, just, just some of the questions that have been arising. Uh, I know we've had forums on this in the past. We had a forum just a, a week and a half ago, and it was good to get uh, quite a few people here. But I, I thought I just wanted to use a small amount of time just before we get into the Word today, just to share a little bit of what um, one section, one little area of, um, of our processes, I suppose. And one thing that I thought I wanted to bring to you um, today was... Um, where did the process start? How did we start talking about saying, together, let's join as one church um, and have two locations? How did that start? And, and as much as we don't want to head all the way back to COVID times, it, it started through COVID, uh, where the churches, the Baptist churches in the area uh, were struggling. We had our stream going and there was quite two or three of the churches in the area were looking at our streams for Sunday mornings. It was just hard for smaller churches to get things going on. And so as we did that, um, I remember sitting in a, a cafe. We'd catch up, I'd catch up with a um, local pa- Baptist pastors once a month and we sat in a cafe and we were just talking about the future and what God was doing. And we had quite a lot of our, our Baptist Churches are empty of pastors, or the pastors were leaving. And it made me start asking the question, God, what is our responsibility? As a, a church that is doing okay, that we got through COVID reasonably well, um, what is our responsibility to the other churches in the area? Prayer was a starting point. And so I asked God, what, what is it for us? What do we need to do? And it was just a private prayer of mine. Um, I had, I think God put it on my heart to pray that. It was, it was literally only a couple of weeks later I got a call from Upway, uh, the secretary at Upway Baptist Church, Gary, and he asked the question, Pete, would Kilsyth South be willing to look at merging with us, taking us on as a church? Now, I look back on that, and it was, the timing was incredible, really. It was a really God timing, and I look back on it and think, well, actually, God was doing something in the midst of that, that time that there was needs that was being very felt in uh, Upway Baptist and in other churches in the area. And there was a question being formulated in my mind and my heart. And so as we started that discussion, this is going back a year, nearly two years now, as we started that discussion, um, we we began to bring that forward to the the leadership and just start praying about, God, what would you like us to be doing? Now, fast forward two years' time, a year and a half time, um, six, eight months ago, we brought that to the church here and said, we've been discussing and praying as a leadership, believing that God might be doing something in that, and now we've given it out to the church to share a little bit about that, and you've had opportunities to ask questions. So I just wanted to bring that to you this morning, that starting point of saying, well, we believe God started something there. So as we go towards um, considering what we are to do, what our role is, and whether God is um, leading us into this as a community, I want you to be praying about and discerning about 
is this what God is wanting for us? We're open, any of the leadership are open to asking questions. If you don't know who the leadership are, if you go onto the board out the back uh, in the foyer, you'll see photos. Just find someone and ask some questions, and um, they're more than willing to answer questions around this. We've been talking about it quite a lot, um, and as a church, continue to ask questions. Um, but I just wanted to give you that little snapshot of the starting point, because I believe God was in that space, and God's been directing us as we go through. So, anyway... Um, this morning, we're going to continue on with our, um, our story, the story of God's, God's big story. And we've been going through this process of going through the story. And this morning, um, there's a question that comes up in the reading that we'll, uh, we'll have in a little bit. And the question is, ask for whatever you want me to give to you. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. It's a question that's posed of Solomon as he begins his journey of becoming the king of the nation. He's taking over from his father, David. And have you ever thought of the situation that Solomon would have been in that moment? Have you ever thought about the question he was actually asked? You've got the kingdom sort of laid out before you, and God says, ask whatever you want me to give to you. That's a fairly big question, isn't it? The God who opened the sea for Moses for the people to walk through. The same God who provided Noah with the blueprints for a, a massive boat when there wasn't any rain forecast. The, the God who saw it right to rescue this messed up humanity through his own flesh and blood in Jesus Christ because he loved them so much. He's asking Solomon that question. Ask me for anything. There's no parameter set doesn't say, within this parameter, ask me for anything. You don't have a limit, just ask for anything. I wonder if you turn the person to the next to you and answer that in five words or less. Turn to the person next to you or around you, ask that. If you could ask God for anything, what would it be? What would it be? If you're online, you might want to jot it down. Type it into the, uh, the text bit. <laughs> we, might, we might get some really good answers here. I might even ask it. If you've got, if you've got a, a really good answer or you've heard a really good answer, why don't you yell it out? If you'd ask God for anything, what would it be? World peace. World peace. It makes sense at the moment. It makes a whole lot of sense. Sorry, I said faithfulness. Yeah, great. That's good. It's good. It's good. Sorry? A closer walk with the Lord. Yeah, wonderful. Wonderful. It's that genie in a bottle scenario, isn't it? There's been many movies written about it. Many people, though, wouldn't be asking for world peace. Many wouldn't be, people wouldn't be asking for that. They'd be asking for... A million, oh, a million dollars is too small nowadays. It's like, what's a million dollars? You can't even buy a house. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> Infinite bags of money. Infinite bags of money. I looked at some statistics of those people who have been uh, coming to money, like immediate money through lotto. And, um, and 70% of big, winner, uh, big dollar lotto winners waste or spend all their money within five years. Isn't that incredible? 
Most make impulse buys. I was reading about this one guy. He, um, he just said about, he got the, the biggest American windfall or whatever, and he said about just buying mansions. He just bought them all over the place. I'm like, well, actually, that's not awful, um, because at least you've got equity in that. But he bought cars, he bought people to look after him, so he bought bodyguards, the whole works. It's just ridiculous. And, um, and so there's this narrative going on around about how long it's going to take him to lose all of it. But most make impulse purchases. Most often they regret those impulse purchases. Um, most say you become the envy of your friends, which means you actually lose your friends. They all want to be part of it. Many suggest there is still a sense of wanting more. Even if you've won the big bucks, they still want more. So what do they do? They go buy a lotto ticket. Figure that out. Money can be a blessing, And I'd love to think that if I had a mass financial windfall, that I'd give it up to those in need, that we'd pay the church debt off, that we'd do all that sort of stuff. But I reckon there'd be something in the back of my mind that'd go, it'd be awesome to buy a basketball stadium. (laughs) What would I ask for if I could ask for anything? I I did spend a fair bit of time thinking about this. Stopping the fighting and senseless killing of innocent people. That's one thing, definitely. Removal of cancer from the world. That's one thing I'd be, I'd be asking for. The ability to have equality through the immense diversity. I think diversity is a wonderful thing. But to have equality in that diversity. The eradication of extremists and tra- terror. My mind turned to solutions. God, fix this. God, do that. I don't know where your mind fo- focused in that space. But today as we look at Solomon, we see he gives a slightly different answer. We see an answer that doesn't just solve one problem that could actually lead to another problem. We see an answer that gives Solomon actually a real chance at serving God the best way that he can, in put him in a position that God has given him. And I think some of the answers we actually had were beautiful answers that actually help us walk faithfully with our Lord. That's the sort of thing that Solomon was asking for. So as I look at Solomon's decision, I consider our world leaders and and how powerful our world leaders have become. And I wonder what their desire would be if they got asked that question. Would they be saying, I want more power? I don't want to lose my power. With high positions of influence comes great power. And unfortunately, history tells us with great power comes a longing to hold power whatever way they can. It can only lead to oppression. Nothing good comes from power-hungry leaders. And so here is Solomon, one of the most powerful people in the known world, being asked to get whatever he wants, anything he wants. And Solomon asked for just one thing. And that made him more powerful than any other person. And that one thing was wisdom. Wisdom. So this morning we're going to explore this godly wisdom and hoping that we will be able to take a little bit of this into our own lives. Let's pray. Our Lord, we pray that as we dig into your word, that you help us to understand a little bit of what Solomon was asking for, that we may ask for that and be people who live lives that are holy and acceptable to you. Help us understand your word. May it be clear this morning. Amen. Now, quickly, some background as to where we're at with Solomon, where Solomon fits into the the bigger story uh, in God's story. 
Now, a few weeks back, um, we talked about David and how he made a, a really big mess of things in the end. It, it didn't go well after his um, blunder with Bathsheba, and he, but, but he was able then to seek the forgiveness of God still. And although there were consequences, we talked about that a little bit. You can go back a couple of weeks and look at that. God sustained David's life. And in the end, he was prosperous. He, he, he still lived a prosperous life. So David, he then dies, and one of his sons is to succeed him on the throne. It's important to remember that we actually we know the end of the story. So we already know that the coming Messiah is anticipated um, through the lineage of David. So we know this. But if you don't know the story... You might think this, what goes on next, is a little different. So David is promised in 2 Samuel that God will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So we know that. We've got the foresight to know that. So we listen with anticipating ears to what's going to pan out. And our understanding of succession here is important. So if we understand that, um, that the, the, the king at the moment, his son, William, is, success, is his successor. Or if, so he should take the throne because it's a firstborn. We know that. That's how the, the monarchy works. So we think actually it should be with, like that with David as well. But it doesn't sort of happen that way because David, he had several wives and he had several sons. The one God chose to succeed him was not his oldest son, but a son named, his son named Solomon. You can read that in 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 22. He was born with Bathsheba, and, through Bathsheba, and uh, the woman that he committed this adultery with. So it's a pretty, um, yeah, David killed, his, killed her husband, the whole works. So if you're thinking about succession, Solomon probably shouldn't have been the one to go into the, that line. He's actually down the line. He's not the firstborn. And the circumstances of, uh, of Bathsheba being the one who would bring uh, the lineage through actually creates a funny old history in the lineage of Christ. But God has other ideas. Now, First King tells us about the process whereby Adonijah, he decides as David's fourth-born son that he was most likely to succeed his father. He was the fourth-born, not the first-born, the fourth-born. The two of his older brothers, they died, and the second son of David doesn't overly seem to be that relevant, to be fair. There's only um, a mention of his name. They don't go into depth. The scripture doesn't go into depth about him. There's not really much else. Perhaps he didn't engage with his dads. Maybe he walked away from the family. We just don't know. Maybe he died. We just don't know. But, but I'm not sure you've ever... I could be wrong, but I don't know if you've ever done uh, an in-depth study on the name Kiliab. Anyone? No, no, I had neither. Um, but hey, someone might like to do that at some stage because he was the oldest. <laughs> He's named in Daniel and in Chronicles 3 verse 1, but the reality is we don't know about him. We don't know anything about him. So his brother, Adonijah, decides, well, I'm going to step in. I'm going to step in. I'm going to be the king. And so he gets his officials around. He gets his brothers around, except for Solomon, and, and pronounce, they, they pronounce him king. It wasn't protocol, but he self-professed himself as king. And, and so Nathan the prophet, the priest Zadok, and a few others, they look at this and go, this isn't right. And so they see succession in the way that they should do, and they sought God, and they um, said, Solomon needs to be king. So Solomon was chosen, the chosen king of, uh, to, to take on this kingdom. Uh, from the outside, outset, Solomon chose wisdom 
rather than vengeance when he became king and set Adonijah free to live. And you can read that in 1 Kings. So we've got Solomon who finally takes the throne. Bit messy, but gets there. David dies and now he's in task, he's got the task of leading this nation, the Israelite nation. And at this stage in, the, in their history, they're in a good spot. They're doing well. They have wealth. They've got some solid leadership. Um, things are looking good from a flow of David's reign. Um, he was a king of, of, of good standing. And Solomon, he establishes his throne with, um, with dignity and asking for wisdom. And so as he gets into this, this process of becoming king, he is immediately hit with uh, a challenge. And the challenge um, that Solomon faced was a decision. And I'll read it to you from 1 Kings chapter 3, and we'll begin in verse 4. If you've got your Bible, you might want to be following along. Okay. 1 Kings 3, verse 4. Now the king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt alterings on that altar. It would have taken a while. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Big question. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, my Lord, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? It's very wise for a young king, isn't it? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you've asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, or has asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will be there will never have to be anyone so so that there will never be, have been anyone like you nor will there ever be moreover i will give you what you have not asked for both wealth and honor so that in your lifetime you'll have no equal among kings and if you if this is important if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and we'll get to that later as david your father did i will give you a long life then Solomon awoke, he realized it had been a dream. Solomon asks for wisdom. But what is he actually asking for when he asks for wisdom? Maybe we think about wisdom, we think about when we start getting a little older and um, we've got more life experience. When I started getting my grey hairs, I've got quite a fair few of those things now, um, people started mistaking me for someone who had wisdom. Just because of grey hair. Is that <laughs> wisdom. Solomon doesn't ask for money. He doesn't ask for a big house with a pool or a basketball court. He's king. He's probably got that stuff. <laughs> but he asks for wisdom. Why? What's he really asking for? You see, asking for wisdom, Solomon wasn't asking for anything that was to do purely with what he wanted for himself. It wasn't about his own wants. Rather, he was asking that he might be given insight as to how to fulfill the role that God had given him. Insight to how to fulfill the, the role of leader, of king, that God had given him. 
because he understood the position he was in. He's essentially saying to God, you've given me this awesome privilege of serving you. But I can't do it on my own. I can't do this. He says, I'm still young. The nation's big. So please, please give me the wisdom to lead in a righteous way. Got to rethink my basketball stadium uh, once, don't I? (laughs) God honours Solomon's request because it wasn't about him. It was about what he was called to be doing. And he had the opportunity to express that pretty quickly. Um, If you keep reading in 1 Kings chapter 3, he has these two women that come to him. And they have one baby between them. They both had babies at the same time. They both claim that this baby was theirs. And they asked the king to settle their dispute. And one had rolled over on the night and their baby had died. So they've got these, they both claim this baby. It makes me think about the two lads who couldn't tell their horses apart. So the first says, lad says, well, why don't we paint one of our horses, the top of one of our horses red, and the other one blue, and then we'll be able to tell them apart. So the other lad piped up and said, that's no good, because the rain will just wash off the paint. One lad says, well, we can shave the front of your horse and we'll shave the back of my horse. And the, lad, the second lad realises the problem here and within, sort of says, well, the hair's just going to grow back. We're going to be in the same predicament. After thinking a little while, lad two gets excited and he says, I've worked it out. I know what the difference can be. The black one is a hand taller than the white one. Anyway, let's get back to the story. (laughs) I liked it. These women bring this baby to him. The mother had rolled over and smothered the baby in the night and she realised she got up and she switches babies with the other lady and claimed that baby to be hers. Pretty, Pretty sad story. So Solomon has this decision to make. Who would he believe? They're probably both very believable. He wasn't at the time present when one of the babies died. However, he applied his common sense with a discerning heart. And he ordered one of his men to come out and cut the baby in half and give half to each woman. One of the mothers said, okay, fine, do that. And the other mother said, don't kill the baby. Give it to her. From that, Solomon was able to discern that was the lady who the real mother was. Now, I don't know if you've tried that before with your kids. I have. I've tried it. Not with babies. I haven't said I'd chop a baby in half. No, with cars or toys. (laughs) Not babies. (laughs) Um, There's a fight over a certain toy. I said, right, I'll chop it in half and you can have half each. What do you reckon the kids say? All right, great. Thanks, Dad. Didn't work. Backfired. (laughs) But if if we're to seek God's wisdom in our lives, it moves beyond this common sense idea of, of discernment. It's not all about just the life experience. Rather, biblical wisdom must be filtered through the lens of the Word of God, the will of God. It means as a people of faith, we actually start to understand that God's ways are greater than our own ways. God has a greater understanding of his own creation and plan for the world. God has a system that he wants us to be in tune with. And from our understanding, it can only stem from the Word of God from what we can understand from the Word of God. So we need to be in the Word to have a discerning, wise heart. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 to 7, and I'll read it from the Message Version. It says this. I think it'll be up on the screen in a minute. We, of course, have plenty of wisdom to pass on to you once you get your feet firm spiritual ground. 
but it's not popular wisdom, the fashionable wisdom of the high-priced experts that will be out of date in a year or so. God's wisdom is something mysterious that goes deep into the interior of his purposes. You don't find it lying around on the surface. It's not the latest message, but more like the oldest. What God determined is the way to bring out the best in us long before we even arrived on the scene. God's wisdom was here before we were here. If you look through the the book of Proverbs, which uh, Solomon wrote, you quickly understand that God-given wisdom was was coming out of him, flowing out of him, because God had given it to him. These small imparts of wisdom allows us to draw on that wisdom today. Read through Proverbs. Perhaps those little, little lines of wisdom that you read through in Proverbs came from all the people that came to him, and he said, this is what I believe would be wise. And he wrote them down for us to read. Have a look through the, the book of Proverbs. Solomon's wisdom, or Ecclesiastes. Solomon's wisdom is on display. So wisdom of Solomon comes from God. It's not automatically, automatically happened. It, God, uh, Solomon asked for it. God gave it to him. And it served him well through the aspects of his life. You know, that same invitation is open to us also. James 1 verse 5, and if you were here yesterday, you would have seen it on the wall. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. It will be given to you. It will be given to you. So just as Solomon gained his wisdom from God, James reminds us that we too should be asking for wisdom as well. Because it is God who gives wisdom. James says he gives it generously. But James also puts a caveat about how we ask for wisdom. If you follow on in James 1, verses 6 to 8, it says, But when you ask, when you ask for wisdom, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave in the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So James reminds us that wisdom is God's to give, And when we ask for it, we must walk into it confidently believing that God will give it to us. I was sharing earlier how we're working our way towards an important decision in the life of KSBC. We've explored together what joining up with Upway Baptist as one church in two locations might look like. One thing I've heard from, from people is that we need great wisdom in this decision. Great wisdom, and I believe that's true. Because it's a big decision in the life of the church. But it's not a wisdom that comes from myself or the leadership of the church or the people of the church. As a church, we should be seeking God's wisdom. And if you were able to pray yesterday, and I'll send the prayer notes out actually um, this week. I'll send it to, if you weren't able to get to pray with us. There's a whole uh, section that we, we set aside just for praying for this decision. Because we need to ask God's direction, ask for God's wisdom as we look into this situation. And as we pray for wisdom in this situation, we are reminded that wisdom, what, that wisdom actually needs to come through the filter of God's will. We've got to seek to understand that and trust that God is in control. Solomon, in his early ministry, he did all that. The nation saw this godly wisdom. They experienced it through the peace that came to the land at the time. The immense blessings that were coming to Solomon... He was granted the riches he didn't even ask for. 
And as we look at the story from God's perspective, it all seems to be going well. And there's a common message that has come through the scriptures up to this point in time, that if we follow the promises of God, things are going to turn out okay. You know, there'll be ups and downs. There'll be things that are tough. But actually, as we continue to faithfully follow God, things will turn out all right. When God's people have sought God, when their eyes have been fixed on God, that's where there seems to be victory come through. That's where there seems to be times of peace. Yet when they take their eyes off God, that's when they start going down a different path. And unfortunately, we learn this lesson in Solomon's life as well. And that is in stark contrast to the starting point of his life. When Solomon's eyes are pried off God, things go wrong and go wrong quite quickly. See, with the prosperity that Solomon was seeing in the land, he'd built this lavish temple. It was starting to attract the attention of the neighbors, of the neighboring nations. This little nation of Israel, which had become quite big, is starting to show signs of life and growth. And others wanted to see it. Others wanted to know about this wise man. People came from all over to see them, and one in particular caught the eye of Solomon. It was the Queen of Sheba. And she was in awe of what was going on, the wealth and the wisdom that was given to Solomon, because that's what she saw as power. So that, that so much illuminated um, not just the powerful Solomon, but illuminated Yahweh, illuminated God in her eyes. In 1 Kings 10 verse 9, it says this, this is what um, the Queen of Sheba says, Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. See, God uses um, Solomon's prosperity to draw people towards himself. And she sees the character of God in him and in that space. It brought more and more people into Israel. 1 Kings 10.23 describes Solomon. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings on the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put on his heart. Year after year, everyone came and brought gifts, articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons and spices and horses and mules. It's going to make you very powerful. God was doing something incredible in this nation. A nation that had such humble beginnings as slaves in Egypt to becoming this. It's pretty amazing. But there's another lesson that as soon as you take your eyes off the Lord, you open yourself up for distraction. Now Solomon had everything. He was like the rock star. He was the king on behalf of Yahweh. But there was a weakness. And he had, well, he had way too many wives. (laughs) He had all the riches you could ever ask for. Surely at some stage, those things were going to be hard to control. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. It wasn't illegal for him to have this. It wasn't frowned upon as such. Yet 700 is probably a little excessive. (laughs) Solomon took wives. The biggest problem, though, with it was Solomon took wives from neighboring lands. And regardless of God's longing for that to not happen, Solomon went beyond the Israel nation to to find his wives. God had warned the Israelites to not take wives from other nations because it's going to actually distract them from worshipping him and lead them to worshipping pagan gods. And perhaps Solomon was arrogant in this. I think he probably was. I expect he, he thought that I've been given so much wisdom, 
I've been given so much prosperity that I'll be okay. That's the starting point of sin, isn't it? Think, I'll be okay. It won't happen to me. And it's exactly what happened. 1 Kings 11.4 says, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. That's a stark contrast to where he started. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of his father David had been. Now, David wasn't perfect. We've gone through that. But Solomon started to look at other gods as his God, little g gods. You've probably heard that if you put a frog into a pot of boiling water, it'll just jump straight out. You might have heard that. Don't go home and try this because it's not... We don't want to do that. But if you put a a frog in a pan of lukewarm water, it'll sit there. And then if you turn up the heat and get it to boiling, you'll have a cooked frog. It doesn't know. It doesn't realise until it's too late the water's boiling. This was Solomon's downfall. Small moments of taking his eyes off God early, not seeing that the water was actually starting to boil, and all of a sudden... He's boiling in a pot of water. So things started so well. He had everything, wealth, power, everything, wisdom. Yet as he made decisions to take his eyes off God and serve himself, the water got increasingly hot. This week I was reminded in a conversation of the blessing of um, uh, our summer missions that we used to go on. Uh, some of the young people still go on these Blue Moose missions and we used to go on them when we were a lot younger. And we have um, had these prayer rooms during the evening. So we'd set up a, like a cafe-style sort of thing and people would be in the prayer room. And in those prayer rooms we would get people to sort of come in with little notes saying, um, hey, a bunch of, of kids just walked in, pray that they stick around and we'll have a good time of being able to chat um, with them and find out about them and share Jesus with them. So, so then the people in the prayer room would write that in a book and we'd pray for it. Little, little things that happen. Hey, the lights have just gone off, the power's gone, can you be, please be praying? Just little things and we'd write it all in the notebook. At the end of each night we'd go through the, the prayer book. And then we give thanks to God for all the answers to prayer that was there. We would just have our eyes so focused on God. When the temperature went up in those spaces, we prayed and asked for God's hand in that mission. When it got to boiling point and there was something going on that, that was really troublesome, we prayed more and more. And then we marveled at how God rescued us in those spaces. Wisdom had come through our prayers. So I don't know about you, but I want to see that in my life every day. I don't want to walk through life just having this slight diversion from following Jesus until all of a sudden it's too late and I've gone and done not his will, but my will. I want to stay near God. I don't want to be drawn away from God. I want my eyes to stay close to his. You know, I'm reminded when I think of this of the immense pressure that Jesus was put on as he gets walked to the cross. The lead up, the pain, the physical pain, the rejection that he must have felt. Yet in the pressure cooker situation of him on the cross, the water is boiling, yet he still sought his father's forgiveness for the criminal sitting next, or standing on the cross next to him. You know, maybe you won't have to decide who owns a specific baby But I know that every day we have to make decisions. And my prayer for you today 
is that when the heat is turned up on some decisions that we need to make, that you will seek God's wisdom, that you will seek God's wisdom in whatever size decision you need to make. I want to flip back to James to finish up. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Because he gives it generously to all without finding fault. We need wisdom. Wisdom as individuals to face the challenges of our everyday lives. Wisdom to know how to respond to issues of our nation and our world. Challenges to our faith that seem to be hitting more and more regularly. The church is no longer seen as the the place to go in society when people need help. Sharing our faith has become increasingly difficult in a world that doesn't want to hear it. So we need wisdom in all areas of our lives. Maybe you're going through a situation at the moment and, and you've been trying to make decisions without seeking God's wisdom. I'm, I'm going to stop for just a moment of silence. I'll ask the band to come in a second. Just a moment of silence and ask for wisdom in that decision. Maybe you've not done, or you've, you've, you've done something, you've not been following God and you've done something and it's led you astray. I put you in a place where you've veered off course from God. I want to ask you to spend a little bit of time now in seeking God and his wisdom to bring you back. Or maybe today this is all new to you. Maybe you've never heard of Solomon. Maybe you've never understood what this means. Maybe you're amazed that Jesus would show great wisdom in the pressure cooker of the, the being, being crucified and forgiving criminals now next to him. I want you to spend a bit of time this morning asking Jesus for wisdom, asking Jesus to be part of your life. So we're going to have a moment of silence. Pray for wisdom. Seek God's wisdom for the ask the store. Why doesn't the band come forward while we have a minute of silence and I'm going to conclude with a prayer and the band will finish off our service. So, Lord, you know the cries of our heart. You know our pain. You know our longings. Lord, as it was said in the start, if we could ask you for anything, maybe we just need to ask for the faithfulness to continually follow you. Lord, give us wisdom in our daily lives. Give us wisdom to answer the questions that come forward every single day. To answer in a way that illuminates who you are. Give us wisdom to make big decisions, our own personal life decisions, decisions of the church that's going to bring you glory. Lord, nothing to do with building our own kingdom, but only about building up your kingdom. So we ask, Lord, for wisdom. May we pursue it greatly. Amen.